0: I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which I create, speak, and write today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respect to their elders, past, present, and emerging, acknowledging that the sovereignty of this land has never been ceded. Hello, this is Taunts, a podcast of in-depth interviews about emotions and the way they shape our lives. I'm your host, Claire Tonty, and I'm really glad you're here. Each week, I speak to writers, activists, experts, thinkers, and deeply feeling humans about their stories. And this week, I have a wonderful human for you called Lizzie Who. Who is many things. A writer, noodle enthusiast, designer, actor, sports lover, rescue greyhound owner, and most importantly, a stand-up comedian who is rapidly becoming one of Australia's most exciting new voices. Now, Lizzie only started doing stand-up in 2017 and originally she did it to, just to kind of gain some self-confidence and for fun. <laughs> and it's safe to say that it worked out pretty well. Her story about that and what happened when she first did stand-up is just glorious. She quickly found herself a New South Wales state finalist in the National Raw Comedy Competition after that and has since gone on to perform at the prestigious Just For Last Festival at the Sydney Opera House with her spot broadcast on Network 10 and Foxtel's comedy channel. In 2021, she performed at the Oxfam Gala to sold out audiences at Melbourne Comedy Festival and at the Sydney Comedy Festival as well. Now, I went to see her live, which is how I found out about Lizzie last year at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, which is one of my favourite times of the year. Bloody love going to see comedy, and it's my favourite time in Melbourne. I always say to people if you want to come and visit our beautiful city, that is the time. It's autumn the trees are glorious the weather is beautiful and there's just the most ridiculous crazy humans walking around who are also so much fun and there's always just incredible entertainers so Lizzie Who's show is amazing and I hope you love this episode. I really enjoyed it. She's very funny, but also has just a lot of advice for people who want to start something and and keep on making it and giving it a go when you have a creative passion and pursuit and why it's really important to keep doing it. Okay, here she is, the wonderful Lizzie Who. Thank you so much, Lizzie, for coming on Taunt's I went and saw you at the Melbourne Comedy Festival earlier in the year and oh. I bloody loved your show. It was so great. And then I went on a deep dive into your work oh. and the thing that struck me, the first thing when I looked at it was that in 2017 you decided to do comedy to gain more self-confidence. Mm. And I wanted, to, wanted you to tell us about that. Yeah. What, that seems like a really crazy thing to do to get more confidence. i know and in hindsight
1: it is a little bit nuts (laughs) like um firstly thank you so much for coming to the show appreciate that but yeah in 2017 so i'm 38 now so i think i started comedy when i was what 31 32 ish but yeah i i sort of found myself i just moved to sydney i didn't have many friends there and I was sort of losing my confidence at work. I don't know. I think it was a combination of being in a new city, being in a new job, probably not really liking the job and finding I was lacking a bit of, uh, yeah, confidence in my role because it was like quite a new role for me. And uh, I was just like, like, I know that I'm a confident person, but I just lost it. And I was like, I've got to get my mojo back. I've got to get this back somehow. And my rationale was, let's try this stand up comedy course and see what that does. Cause in my head, I'm like, if I can do stand up comedy, I can talk to anyone. That was my rationale, which is insane. Um, but I was doing all these, like I was trying to just put myself out there, right? I was trying to like, do hobbies I wanted to find a hobby or find something I was passionate about and I kept doing all these courses at Sydney Community College I did like a millinery course sewing course and then I would get their emails and one email I got was oh try stand-up comedy you know it's full Monday nights very low risk I was like yeah okay let's try that I like comedy let's do that and I went along and it was like four Monday nights. It was so much fun. I like, I had no idea about like I liked comedy, but I didn't know comedy. Like I knew a few comedians, I knew a few Aussie comics, like the big ones, but I didn't know like where to go and see comedy. And this teacher that we had, he's like old school comic, like he would even bring in like his little CD player and CDs of, of different comics and like play them and It was just really fun and I really liked that part of it, like the theory part of it. But then at the end of the course he put on a friends and family show and he's like, you don't have to do it. You may as well. Like you've done the four-night course. You may as well like – like he he looked over our scripts and stuff like that so we had like – you know a bit of a leg up going into it and i thought yeah i may as well do the show and so what i did is i this is the crazy bit is that i invited everyone that i knew to this <gasps> friends and family show
0: isn't that, that is a, so bold
1: that is and i look back <laughs> on that now and i'm like what were you thinking like so that is, is absolutely he, oh insane, so I invited you know my bosses, all my colleagues, like oh, yeah. cousins and like basically anyone that I knew in Sydney at the time to mm-hmm. this show, and yeah, I had a really fun time, like it was a really it was a really fun show, and at the end, I was like, yeah, I think I might
0: keep doing this. Hold on, hold on a minute. So you're you're telling me you'd never done comedy before, you did four sessions, you wrote a script, you invited everyone that you know and then you did it and it was fun.
1: Like what do you mean? So I think the adrenaline rush of it all. Like you get such like a big stress adrenaline kick out of a comedy show, especially your first time so i think there's an element of like getting addicted to that rush in comedy but yeah i just i think after that gig i thought oh yeah this is this is really fun i think this is a perfect way to like channel my creativity cuz i was thinking i needed something like my my job was pretty dry and prior to that i'd had fairly creative roles at work and i was like i really needed something to channel my creativity and i thought oh this is this is great because it's like writing, which I like. And it's perform the performing part was the scariest bit for me. The writing part, like I could sit all day and write, that's fine. But yeah, the performing part was the scariest bit. But once I sort of got over that, yeah, I was like, oh, this is it's quite addictive.
0: You must have been really good at it. Like you must have got a lot of laughs from the crowd and yeah, I did good in that way. Yeah, I did.
1: Yeah, I did get laughs, but I realize now probably because I stacked the audience with like <laughs> my friends and family. But it was just like I also stuffed it up. I think I just was really, I don't know, I think maybe I was really proud of myself. I remember the teacher coming up to me afterwards going, "Oh, you should you should keep going." And I think I was like, "Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, I'll try. I'll try and do more." But, but even then I was like, where do you do, what do you do now? Like what are the next steps? Yeah. And so I just Googled basically and even then I was like, well, I'm not really finding much, but I did find um, an open mic in Sydney at the time, which I think was probably like one of two open mics at the time. There's a lot more now in Sydney. And I went along and it was it was pretty awful. <laughs> Like it was okay, like the first one was okay, and then when I kept going to the next ones, next ones, I was like, Oh gosh, I don't know about this. What am I doing? Like,
0: what was awful about it?
1: Yeah, it's just what they are. Open mics are a chance to just get things out of your mouth, basically. But usually, most of the people at open mics, it's like a lot of young male comics, and so my jokes as an early 30s female did not get a reaction from the crowd, which is just young male comics and their friends. So it didn't really, I was like, oh, God, I suck. Like these jokes, that was like a one-hit wonder night. These jokes aren't, I don't think they're that, that good. And it really like, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know about this. But what, I gave myself the challenge of entering raw comedy the following year, so that was 2017, and I thought, oh, look, I'm just going to do this raw comedy and if I do okay in this raw comedy, I'll just keep, I'll keep going. You know, that'll that's a sign sort of thing. And, yeah, I ended up doing raw comedy. I got to the state final and I thought, yep, great. That's, a, like, a good result for me.
0: It's a bloody amazing result having yeah. done open mics, <laughs> <laughs> done one in front of your friends and family, some open mics. Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah, a couple of open mics, and then after the open mics, I was like, I can't do open mic again because it's just not doing anything for my confidence. So I literally like practiced in my lounge room. That's that's what I did, and then wow. yeah, did RAW, and I think after you people see you at RAW, and I didn't know anyone, and I'm so glad I did RAW when I didn't know anyone because it is like a big deal, net like. Now that I know comedy, people talk about Raw, like it's, like it's too much of a big deal, to be honest. And I'm glad I did it when I didn't know anyone. So I did, yeah, and after you do it, people see you and they're like, oh, you want to come and do my room? So it was like a good thing for the resume, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then from then on, I just, yeah, I I think I had more confidence to just, yeah, put my self out there and ask room runners for spots and stuff like that.
0: Did you find that the audience of Raw was like more gender balanced, I guess, or f- with people that mm. would resonate more with the jokes that you were telling? Is that why you think it oh, yeah, it in a different way?
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like it was like a normal audience. It was mm-hmm. very much like a, a general public, people in the competition who brought their friends and family and yeah, it was definitely just a normal regular crowd. Yeah,
0: who would want to come to comedy. Yeah, and I still, like, I still
1: open mic now. I still encourage people to do open mic just because it's, like, it's good good for the soul, I think, <laughs> looking back, like as, <laughs> as petrifying as it can be. It's, like, for me, I think it's still important to do. Mm.
0: Do you think that the scene is starting to shift, like those open mics and that kind of culture of young blokes primarily? Probably mostly white guys too, I would assume. Do you think it's starting yeah. to shift more? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's
1: different styles of rooms now, and there's alternate rooms, and I know in Sydney there's a women's only room or female performers only room. So yeah, I definitely starting to shift. But I also think I don't know. Yes, like open mic could be male dominated, but you know, so it's always going to the gym and. Like using a weights room. Like that, a lot of that stuff can be in your head, I think. Mm-hmm. That's my way around it. Like I've got two older brothers, right? And I remember one day I, I wanted to use one of those gyms in a park, you know, how they, and it's always filled with yeah. dudes, right? And it's so intimidating to go and use those things. And I was talking to my brother about it, and he was like, What are you talking about? No one's going to even look at you. Like, and I was like, oh, that's so true. Why am I even worried about that? Like, he's like, just use it. What are you talking about? Like, he just thought it was so stupid. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly right. So I kind of think that about open mics now, like anyone at an open mic is really only concerned with how they're going. They don't really care how you're going to go. So I just... I think a lot of that stuff is like kind of manufactured in our heads a bit. That's it's my like way around it anyway.
0: really, yeah, <laughs> It's great life advice, I think. Yeah. Realistically, we then self-limit ourselves and really the only way that those spaces are going to become more, I don't know, diverse and more gender neutral and all of mm. the things is if we just go into them. So you know, by yeah. avoiding them, we're kind of perpetuating yeah. that problem. I guess completely. Yeah. yeah. What was your first show about? What did you write about when
1: you first? Got oh, here? my first um, festival show was called "Who Am I," and look, it was I guess just naturally my the first the material that I wrote about when I first started was a lot about my heritage, my family, me dating, like very just sort of personal stuff that I guess like it's probably like the same stuff that a lot of comics write for their first hour about family, friends, where they live, what their living situation is like, that sort of thing. So I basically had two 20 minutes that I'd used before like in certain club rooms and that sort of thing and then I put those together and then I made an ending. (laughs) <laughs> like, that was, it was in. that's
0: how you I did le-
1: it. even look yeah and I even look back on that now and and the effort that I put into and the thinking that I have put into my last couple of shows I'm like wow that first show really just slapped it together <laughs> and I remember even staying I never even I did Melbourne Comedy Festival this is like I love being so naive to things like I hadn't even been to a Melbourne Comedy Festival before, like as a patron or anything. And I was like, yeah, I'll do Melbourne Comedy Festival. <laughs> and so I just remember people reacting, like I'd been doing comedy for a couple of years and people were acting like, you're going to do, you're going to do a Melbourne Comedy Festival? I'm like, yeah, why not? <laughs> like, Wait, why, can't I, why can't I do that? And I just thought it was really funny. And I think this is being a bit older too, starting something a bit older. I thought it was really funny. Like, there's all these sort of unwritten rules in comedy. And one of them is definitely about Melbourne and how people think they should be ready when they go to Melbourne. And you gotta, I don't know, have done so many hours and different shows before you end up going to Melbourne. And I was like, oh, I just wanna, what's the worst that can, in my head, I was like, what's the worst that can happen? I become a better comic. Like, what's there to lose, really, apart from money? Um but like even like I like I just I just hated that people like I even got advice from someone that was like, Oh, if you're gonna get if you get a six o'clock time slot, don't bother. No one's gonna turn up to a six o'clock time slot. And I was like, Oh and I ended up getting a six o'clock time slot and I was like, I'm just gonna do it. Whatever. I didn't do a full run, granted, I just did a half run. But I had a great time. I, I thought it was fun. Yes, there were shows where there were like five people in there. But I it was fine. Like I had a really good time and I, and I always tell people that they should just do it. Like if they want to do it, then just mm. go for it. Because uh, I think sometimes people go in with this like mentality of like wanting to win an award or getting nominated for an award or that sort of thing. It's like, oh, that's not my prerogative. No,
0: because yeah. that's actually mm. such great life advice in general. I think we limit ourselves mm. so much just because we think it's not going to be the best you know and I think creativity in general is a lot like that we're either like going to be the best or we're just not going to do it at all you know because what's the point then I think That's a really Mm. Australian Mm. kind of mindset, which is just ridiculous Mm. because there's so much joy and fun and interesting kind of stuff in between that, right? Mm. Like living creatively is just a great way of being in the world and scaring yourself and jumping in. I think that's just so valuable completely. Mm. I want to ask you now about your family. I know you wrote about Mm. your family in Who Am I. Let's start Mm. with your dad, Chan, because he's Like bloody hilarious from what I've listened to. sounds so great. What's
1: he like? He's the best. He's so funny. Like I can't not write about him. And to be honest, I I limit Chan content. Like I could honestly write (laughs) a whole show about the guy, but I actually limit myself. I'm like, oh, sometimes I get when I'm writing, I'm like, this can't just become a show about my dad. Like it could. But, uh, like, oh, that's a bit, like, he hasn't signed up for that, even though he loves being talked about. But he's got, like, there's so many stories I could tell about him. And I will eventually. Like, I was even toying with the idea of one show, just having all the stories about him in a hat and just, like, choosing one. Like, the audience yep. has to just, like, draw out one. I'm like, okay, this is the story we're going to do tonight.
0: Could you do that Which for I us? Which I might too? do one day. Could you choose one? <laughs>
1: he's just a funny guy like he's I don't know I think looking back now okay this is a funny one like some sometimes I tell stories about my family and people go oh like I think they're funny and people are like oh do you have trauma from that <laughs> <laughs> um but I remember when we we're growing up like he was at everything like he was like the best the best at like he would he ran his own business and so he could run his own time but he would pick us up from school, drop us off at school, take us to all our training. He'd always, he'd watch our training. He'd watch our games. Like he was there and everything. But this this is a story about like when at night he would dress up this like man, like a f- pillow man on the toilet. So if we <sighs> went to the toilet in the night, we'd be like scared. Like we'd be like, oh, my god. <laughs> So, so he'd have these like pillow men like with pants on and a shirt and like a football head and it was just terrifying like we would go to the toilet at night and there'd just be this dude sitting <laughs> on the toilet and he and he would just I don't know what was going through his head but he'd just be like waiting for us to scream or like to be terrified but that was our, like, we were always pranking each other and always joking in our house, and that was his prank. But I look back on that now, I'm like, that's actually, like, pretty scary. <laughs> yeah. Like his intention was to scare us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For his anyway. own joy
0: and amusement. <laughs> For his I own, love that. Yeah. So, oh, my God. Because yeah. the, the great part about that is the pointlessness mm. of it too. Like there's no other yeah, reason like, to do that other than he's lying in bed going, oh, that's
1: awesome. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to play a trick on my children. There's, like, yeah, yeah, I just, and I think back then, I'm like, wow, that's that's weird. <laughs>
0: what did he teach you yeah what did he teach you about being weird and life and all of that um
1: yeah he's definitely a character that's for sure he definitely didn't care what anyone thought about him like he just and I think that's probably I guess coming to a country when you're older like he probably came here when he was like mid-30s late 30s he's 83 now and trying to assimilate and that sort of thing, like he just didn't care. He was just like, "Cause
0: he's Chinese Malaysian,
1: yeah, yeah." But he grew like this is the thing. He he was in the army and he's definitely like very social guy and plays a lot of sport and like he he can become friends with anyone. So, but yeah, he just he just he's a, actually like quite the entertainer. Like in the like he I think if he could live his life again he would become a musician or something like that like now since he's retired he's he plays the ukulele and the guitar and like sings and goes to open mics and that sort of thing so that that's what he really loves to do like he this is so cute he volunteers at the hospital on a Tuesday and plays music in the foyer and he just plays like oh it's so cute and he lives for that day like during COVID when he couldn't go to the hospital, he was just so upset, like he just hated that he couldn't go to the hospital. And now like he's just like, Yep, Tuesdays is my day and he goes there, sets up his little amplifier and everything and goes there so early and they all love him there and people like donate like he gets donations. And the other day he was saying that someone gave him fifty bucks and he was like, Wow, someone gave me fifty dollars And he don't he gives it all to the the hospital but yeah it gets a real kick out of that
0: yeah being the showman mm. and connecting with everyone and, oh yeah God, yeah yeah he loves so, that yeah that's so gorgeous can you tell me about his love of food as well because you're a real noodle enthusiast aren't you do you, yeah. do you get your love of food from him
1: yeah I, I guess so like I love food I think it comes from two things actually like growing up Dad was a like mum cooked as well. Um, but obviously we like dad food dad's food better. <laughs> like mum's food was good, but we were like, Oh, when's when's dad cooking? Um <laughs> so and I guess moving to Australia, especially Brisbane, uh in the 70s, eighties, they didn't have malaysian food. So he had to make it. And his mum is his mum was a really great cook so all the recipes that he cooks are his mum's and I've actually got my um my uncle put together my nanny's recipes for us and it's such a good resource because it's like her original recipes and I always feel so special when I'm cooking those so dad cooks those as well but yeah I think definitely food comes from that and just that you know those foods that you crave, that your parents cooked. it just reminds you of home and I know during lockdown, it was so weird and I've, I've spoken to a lot of people about this and they have sort of had similar experiences that you like I started cooking things from my childhood just because it made me feel comfort. Um, so that was uh, I don't know a really nice part of lockdown doing all the home cooking. Uh, but yeah I, I get my love food from dad. Dad's family, like, we're all food obsessed and every, I think that's just a Malaysian thing. Everyone is always talking about what they're going to eat next, where they're going to eat, which place is better, who's the better cook, like, you give feedback on food. Yeah, it's just such a big part of their culture. But I also, in my, like, early 20s and overseas and that sort of thing, I worked in restaurants a lot. So... I think I got a bit of my love of food from that as well because I was exposed to this and they were nice restaurants. They were like fine dining. I was like waiting in fine dining restaurants and I was exposed to this like whole different world of food and like quite fancy food as well. I think that's definitely like like I will I will go out for an expensive meal. Like I want that an eyelid, but yeah. like I'm a tight ass with everything else but food I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Let's go eat. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm a hundred percent the same. Yeah, yeah. So I think some of it has come
1: from that as well.
0: Mm. Uh, here's a very specific question: If someone wants mm. to start in the Malaysian food kind of lane, what kind of dish would you start them with?
1: Um, I reckon get some like do a curry. Like, I think once you once you get into curries. You just realize how easy they are. And and I know that a lot of Malaysians will use like a curry powder. Like there's a curry powder. My dad, I think it's Patux that he gets for me. So I, whenever I've gone overseas, you know, parents get you. Something to take away with you, Dad, just gives me like two packets of curry powder. <laughs> I remember trying, like if I'd get care packages, it'd be like Mum giving me you know stuff like face cream or underwear or something like that, and then there'd just be like two packets of curry powder. <laughs> which was great because it was like, yes, I can have that home-style um, cooking. But, yeah, I, I just think curries is probably like the easy – they're so cheap to make, they're delicious, you can freeze them. And I think once you make a few, you realise, oh, wow, this is just like the easiest meal. And once you get the taste for it, you can – I think that's the hardest part is adjusting, you know, like you see on Master Chef where they're like, oh, it needs more – that I think that's the hardest part. Yeah,
0: but yeah, you can whip up a curry pretty quickly. All right, I'm putting that on my list of things to do. Yeah, yeah. In your stand-up show, you talk about wanting to get a T-shirt that says "Lizzie from Brizzy." So, what was oh, like yeah. like for you when you were a kid growing up in Brisbane? Yeah, it's funny that because I did,
1: I I never got that shirt. Like that's part of the joke. But I do remember saying to Mum once, like. I really just want to get a shirt made up because people would ask me all the time and I, that where I was from and like, it's fine. I get it. But at the same time, like it was all the time. (laughs) It was just, especially as a kid, like it was just constant. Like, and it, and even there were just like little things that would add up. And even my name, like going you know, you go to an athletics carnival, you'd you'd win a ribbon, you'd go to the ribbon desk, you know, you'd have to like put down your name and then like the lady there would make fun of my name and I'm like, oh, I've just gone from like a high to a low and like I get it's a funny name but when you hear it every day it's like, mm, okay. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I definitely wanted that shirt just because people would, just to ask all the time, and I just wanted
0: to put it out there
1: that you know this is it. No more questions.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm from here. Stop asking me. Were you a funny kid? I don't. I I don't think. So. I think I
1: definitely. In my school friends, like I was. A, I was joke. Like I was a joker. I mean, but all my friends, we all make fun of each other and joke and that sort of thing. I can't my family is funny. My definitely like humour was a big part of our family. And I still have memories of my brother. Like if we did the same, made the same call or made the same comeback when we were kids, there'd be a big like, Oh, you can't use the same thing twice. Like get some new material. Like like we like yeah, we liked humor. We liked making fun of each other. And it's so funny now, even like now, our dynamic is still like that. We're all roasting each other all the time. And when people come into that, like say my partner or someone else's partner, they're like, whoa, (laughs) you guys are like really mean to each other. Like, oh, we're just like, the meaner we are, the more we love them. It's, It's like a display of affection almost, I think. But, yeah, it, yeah. I, I think it's just humour just been a big part of my life.
0: Yeah, and your mum's Irish, is that right? And your parents met overseas. She's got an Irish background.
1: Yeah, okay. she's got, like, she's Irish-Australian, like her family. She comes from an Irish family, like a lot of Aussies do, but, like, a very Catholic mm-hmm. lady. and mm-hmm. um, She's from Toowoomba, uh, which is in Queensland, and it's, like, a very, like, sort of Bible mm-hmm. belt, catholic irish area and so she yeah i grew up i grew up very catholic and i definitely did as many like irish catholic things as i did chinese things probably even more catholic like i went to catholic schools i went to mass every sunday not that dad did it was just like me my brothers and Mum and dad would never go to church except christmas so yeah, I definitely have that, like grew up with a lot of Catholic guilt. Um, like the school the school thing and I mean I wouldn't change it now. It was one of those things, like Mum always said, You have to have to go to church uh with me every weekend until you're eighteen. That was that was the thing. And as soon as I turned eighteen, it was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> Um, and I look back on that now and I'm like, oh, yeah, that is. And when I go to church now with mum at, like, Christmas or something like that, it's such a foreign concept now. And I think, wow, I can't believe this was, like, part of, like, my every day. Every day. Yeah. It, like, it, you know, whether it be at school or going to church. And, like, every day, like, there was some Catholic thing in it. Yeah, I
0: grew up super Catholic too. It's very much a part of my childhood. I so resonate with the guilt and the things. I Mm. also do, and I'm curious if you agree with this, have some things I'm really grateful for about that upbringing even though now I don't go to church anymore. And I know that's hard to wrap Mm. your head around because there are like just the patriarchal, horrible discrimination Mm. stuff and lots Mm. of not great things. Yeah. What are some things that you have learned from that being Catholic?
1: Oh I definitely I would like my view on social justice I definitely think comes straight from mum comes straight from my schools like there was always you were always raising money for something at school and it was never like a lot of the time it wasn't for yourself it wasn't to go on like yeah you'd raise money to go on school camp or whatever it was but often there'd be like you know, Project Compassion or you'd be raising money for kids overseas or World Vision or something like that. So I definitely, and I remember in high school, like we always had a sorry day at high school. There was always a lot of deeper conversations going on and I think that is very much to do with the religion side of things, also the guilt side of things. It was like, just remember, girls, you've got it good. (laughs) you know look at all these people doing it like it was it was that sort of dynamic but at the same time I think that has also like broadened my mind to you know have a, a more of a holistic view of what the world is and definitely like yeah there's there's a lot wrong with the Catholic Church but the just the upbringing and the, the moral some of the morals that you learn and what you study at school and, yeah, I I definitely see a lot of benefit in it.
0: Here's a question. Where did you kind of get your first ideas of womanhood and what it means to be a girl in the world?
1: Oh, that's so interesting because when I was, I was very much a tomboy. I know you shouldn't really say tomboy now, but that's what I was. Like I had two older brothers. I played rugby. I Hated wearing dresses. Like, mum would want me to wear dresses, but I just wanted to be like my brothers. I wanted to wear their Nike shirts and their footy shorts. And I hated – and I think that was, like, an equality thing. Like, I just hated the idea of, like, why do I have to wear this when they can just get away with wearing that? Like, I just did not care for anything girly. Like, I hated it. Like, it was almost – like don't pigeonhole me into this girl thing. And I was like that, like even in high school, uh, like very sporty kid. I played hockey up until a few years ago. Like, yeah, I just didn't, I was just, yeah, I, I didn't, like I like looking nice, but I don't, like especially during school, I didn't feel like I needed to, yeah, wear skirts or like dresses or anything like that. Like for school formals and stuff like that I did. But even now, if I'm wearing a dress, mom's like, oh, wow. Like, it's such a big thing for her. It's like, wow, you're wearing a dress. It's like, yeah, (laughs) what? (laughs) So I don't know, like, womanhood is, yeah, that's a sort of weird one. I guess going to an all-girls school, that's, it's such a, you've had the same experience, but you've Mm -hmm. very much, it's, so out in the open, everything. Like my friends and I, like we shared everything though and it was just like every detail. So, you know, whether it's something like uh, your your body changes and all those like weird high school feelings and boy feelings and all of that sort of stuff, like it was very much an open book. And I think, yeah, I think that's probably – Having those experiences growing up, because I didn't have sisters, like all my school friends were kind of like my sisters, I guess, would be my first experiences of I don't know, sharing womanhood and talking about it. Because like be having a Catholic mum never spoke about any of that sort of stuff. Like, <laughs> you know, but like having friends that were just like gross and open, didn't care. That was, yeah, I think that would be probably some of my first experiences of sharing womanhood, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's sort of freeing then, isn't it? Because, yeah, there is that element when you grow up Catholic of shame around body stuff and Mm. sex stuff and that that kind of stuff. Wearing a bikini, like, whoa. Oh, (laughs) using tampons even in my house is a bit of a thing as well. Oh,
1: I remember my mum saying to me, like, oh, and it was advice she got from her doctor as a teenager that women, like, shouldn't wear tampons because it should be a flow or something like that. And I was like, what? How am I meant to go swimming? Like, how? Yes. It's wild.
0: It is Mm. really wild, isn't it? How did the world respond to you being, for want of a better word, a tomboy and really sporty Mm. and funny and, Mm. you know, all of that? How did you feel like the world responded to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, in school, like, especially being like an Asian kid, but sporty, not that common. And I think... I avoided a lot of, you know, maybe, like, racism, prejudice or sort whatever of, uh, because I was sporty. Like, I, I think sports are a real great equaliser and that sort of thing. And, I like, I had a lot of friends at school and I also did, like, I did sport but I also did music. So I was in, like, the band and stuff like that. So I had, like, this real weird cross-section of mates And I think that's something I've noticed about myself in life. Like I have this habit of being the all-rounder in any workplace I've gone to, any sporting team I've been in. Like I'm never like, oh, Lizzie, you're going to do that. It's like, oh, Lizzie, can you help out here, here, here and here? (laughs) So I've definitely, and even in comedy I'm finding like, yes, I'm doing stand-up. But now I'm doing like other things around that as well. So it's like, oh, you're doing stand-up, but you're doing writing and then maybe doing some presenting. And then like there's just like a lot of different things happening. And I think that's maybe a bit down to like my flexible personality. But, yeah, I think, I don't know, I, I think people liked me and I think I definitely grew up in a household where it was like just, be kind of, like, be who you, you want to be, but also don't. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it was like, be who you want. Like, it was so funny. Like my parents encouraged us and I've had this chat with mom and she's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I've got all these like, you know, footloose children who like are creative and want to be like, my brother's a YouTuber in Indonesia now um, after being a teacher for many years. And I'm like, yeah, but, mom, you gave us all the music lessons. You encouraged us to do all the drama classes and be in the school plays and do sport. And, like, she she encouraged – she's a teacher, was a teacher, and she encouraged us to do every, like, extracurricular thing that you could do. But you want us to be an accountant? Like, (laughs) you know? (laughs) I'm like, you – it's your fault. Like, you opened up us up to this like creative world and she's a very creative person like loves reading loves art and all that sort of like always took us to the museum as kids always to art galleries and stuff like that but in her mind I think she's like oh, I'd love it if you just did a Monday to Friday sensible. yeah I'm like this is your fault
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. my mm. parents, it's funny, they raised us to be really free thinking and deep thinking and mm. challenge everything a lot, but they mm. were just hoping that we would then come to the same conclusions about life that they did, which is like yeah. being you know, quite conservative and Catholic. But I sort of was saying yeah. to Mum, yeah, you can't have it both ways. You can't raise kids who are really open-minded and creative and free thinking but then yeah. want them to think the same as you. It's really interesting yeah. the impact our parents have on the way that we are in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. And your mum sounds like such Mm -hmm. a special person too. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. And your brother as well. I love that you rib him a lot in the show too. I went to see um, that show Mm -hmm. at the Melbourne Colony Festival. That's very cool. So you're an all-rounder. Can I ask you about what it's like to specifically make your job your creative endeavour now? Like, what was it like launching Uh, off into the world as a comedian? Yeah, it's funny because I started it, I started comedy as
1: a hobby. Like, I wanted a creative outlet. And, you know, it's that whole thing like your side hustle became your main hustle. And now I'm doing comedy as a job. I'm thinking about, oh, I need another hobby. Like, comedy just can't be my only thing. So now I'm finding. Like, and it's so hard now because my schedule is so all over the place. It's a bit hard for me to pick up something, but I'm, like, looking into – I'm doing exactly what I did when I started comedy and, like, looking up knitting classes and, oh, maybe I'll buy a keyboard and I'll learn the piano. <laughs> like, I'm just – I'm looking for those sorts of things now. I'm buying cookbooks so I can, you know, spend – my spare time, cooking, and that sort of thing. So i yeah it it's it's been great to do my hobby as my job. But I'm also conscious that it's healthy to have other things going on.
0: Is that because mm. you think once you make it your job, some of the joy gets taken out of it? Because there's, it's like has to pay the bills and you're it's work as opposed ah, to something you do because yeah, yeah. you just are enthusiastic about it.
1: Yeah, some of it definitely feels like work. There's some jobs you get, you're like, oh, I'm working for this. Um, And then other jobs, I'm like, I can't believe this is a job. Like, I can't believe I'm getting paid to do this. I think me looking for hobbies is more like a mental health thing because I know I have the tendency to just fixate on comedy. Like, I could do it all day, every day. And I'm lucky I've got a partner and a dog and other things that I'm like oh hang on no I don't I've got other things to do and I think that is why I want a different hobby so because it's like an escape away otherwise I'd just be thinking about comedy all the time more like I think about it all the time now but it'd be good to be like fixated on oh I've got to learn a new chord today or Something different for the mind, I think, to focus on.
0: What do you, when you say you're thinking about comedy, what are you actually thinking about? Are you collecting jokes? Are you reading about approaches oh. to comedy?
1: Yeah, like, yeah, even often when I'm reading, I'm reading like a comedian's biography or um, I'm listening to a comedy podcast. Yeah, oh, jokes always like sort of are in your head and you're always thinking, sometimes you're thinking like, oh, that could be a funny joke or, oh, maybe I'll do the joke this way or you're just thinking of, like, tags in your head or just random stuff. Even when I'm watching TV sometimes, I'm like, I'll say to Paul, my partner, I'm like, oh, let's watch this show. And he's like, is this about another comedian that, like, wants to make it? And I'm like, actually, yeah, like, there's just so much they're all like, i watch specials
0: on Netflix. And Can you give us a couple yeah. of your favourite comedians at the moment? Yes. I mean, I love Maria Bamford.
1: She's definitely one of my all-time favourites. I mean, I love Ali Wong as well and Michelle Wolfe I've always been a huge fan of. And I remember seeing her show at Melbourne Comedy Festival and just being like blown away. I was like, wow, that was the best show I've ever seen. Yeah, I would say they're my like, top, my top three.
0: What is it that you look for in them? What is it that blows you away by their work? I mean,
1: think it's just so clever. Like, and they've they've worked so hard at their jokes. Like, you can really see the work that's gone into their jokes. And I just, and they're just such efficient writers. There's no like waffle or fad or anything like that. They're just like, boom, here's the joke which is weird because like a lot of some of my jokes can be like quite story-based, but yeah, I, I always, and I know, I think maybe that's the thing I, because my, a lot of my jokes are quite story-based. They start out with a lot of fluff and irrelevant stuff. And then i look to these amazing joke writers that are like very succinct and efficient and to the point, And I'm like, Oh no, I need to be like that a bit more. And I trim down my stuff but, yeah, I think they're, the, they're definitely the ones that I love.
0: What would be your advice to people who want to write comedy? What are some of your best tips and tricks? Just
1: go for it. Like if you've been thinking about it, a lot of people come up to me and go, oh, I've been thinking about doing comedy. I'm like, just start. Like you just have to do it. It's one of those things that, like I was like this, I was like practising in my lounge room i like, that's not really going to get you anywhere. You just have to keep going. And I think putting little challenges in front of yourself, that's what helped me. I need like a deadline and putting little sort of challenges like, oh, I want to do this room by this point or something like that would be good. And then just, yeah, watching comedy, listening to it. Um, there's no right or wrong way how, how you do it. And a lot of people, like, write differently. Some people just never write anything down. They just write in their heads and say it on stage, uh, whereas I have to write everything down and then say it and look over it and, re- like, really pore over it. But, yeah, just you just have to keep going. You just have to, like, do it. Even if it's not very good, you just have to keep chipping away, I think. That's something I really learned. You talked earlier about that sort of idea of perfectionism, and um, it's sort of unachievable, really. And I think that's the best thing about comedy is like you can never be, you can never finish it. Like you'll always, you'll always be able to get better at it. And even yeah. if you've been doing it for like, thirty, forty years, you could have, you could be like the worst in the room one night. So mm. yeah, I think it's just more about the act of doing it.
0: What's that like when you? have a gig and I'm sure it doesn't happen very often to you but when it all goes pear-shaped and there's not a laugh in the room or you've oh. put out this joke and it's just awful. I'm used to it
1: now, but when we call it bombing and when I first like your first bomb or like the first year or two when you bomb, it's oh, it's almost debilitating. It's almost like you think about it I don't know, you think about it all the time. But I think as you, like, get more experienced, do more gigs, you're like, oh, whatever. Like, it's comedy. You're going to wake up tomorrow. Everyone's going to keep going. No one in the crowd is going to be like, oh, do you remember that bomb? Like, they're not whatever. No one cares. It's, like, all fabricated. So I think, yeah, I'm, I'm used to it now. I'm over it, which is a it's, it's good and bad thing. Like, yeah, I just don't feel... Like I know when it's gone badly, but I'm like, mm. I'll just come off stage and be like, mm, that wasn't great. And then that's it.
0: <laughs> Move on.
1: Move on. I mean, if maybe if it was like a high stakes gig, like if I bombed at the Gala or something like that, I'd feel, I'd probably feel a bit different and be like, oh my God, that was terrible. But even um, I did a, the Just for Laughs TV set a couple of months ago and I remember coming off stage, I was like, I did not enjoy that. Like I I stumbled over a few words. There were just things like I just didn't feel like I hit it. Um, but you, I'll look back on it and it'll be fine. So it's kind of a lesson to like what's in your head or what could be going on at the time might be very different to what people see. Or Are you um, a perfectionist? No, like I want to do, I like to be good at things, but I'm definitely not, I've, no, I'm not a perfectionist, um, I'm very much, I'll get to a point and be like, yeah, that's good enough. Like I I could be pushed more and that's why I love, uh, I have a director for my festival shows, which is great because he pushes me more. Like when I'm ready to be like, oh, that's enough, I'll just tap out of that one, that's good to go. He's like, oh, maybe. <laughs> I'm gonna like, he'll say like, oh maybe have a think about this one a bit more. And yeah, I appreciate that extra push. Mm.
0: Do you this is uh, this is probably a horrible question to ask, but do you ever feel pressure being a woman in comedy? Like you've got an extra thing to prove? Or do you think um, that industry's moved so far from there? Yeah, I I think it's yeah, I think
1: it has moved on from that. But if you're the only woman on a lineup, which still happens, yeah, you feel like you're like, oh, you don't want everyone to the audience to leave being like, well, the woman wasn't funny. Like, then you feel the pressure of representing all women. But yeah, I do, I do feel like it's changed so much. But then, yeah, every so often, what was the not like? It used to be you'd be like one of two women on like an A person lineup. And that really doesn't happen much anymore. Like on the weekend, last weekend I was on a all female lineup, but it wasn't. It just worked out that way. It didn't. Didn't. It was just that. And the MC that we got was like, "Oh, do you wanna? Do you want me to say that it's an all female lineup?" We're like, "Nah. Like it's just. This is just it. Like no one's gonna notice that it's an all female. Yeah. So." Yeah. I think a lot of, it's changed a lot.
0: Yeah, it's sort of that idea of being allowed to just be a person and a human Mm. as opposed to having to have any kind of overlay about, um, I don't know, being a woman or being part Chinese-Malaysian or, you know, wouldn't it be great if we can all just show up up and just do our thing because Mm. that's who we are and not for any Mm. of those other kind of agendas. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting. Mm. Um. It strikes me that you are someone who is enthusiastic about many things and about life. Why mm. is that? Why are you so enthusiastic about, you know, everything, pushing forward, doing things, um, making things?
1: Yeah, it's, so fu- it's definitely it's certain things like I get and this is, I think this is a who thing. I don't know. But I get like fixated on stuff and i be like, oh, and comedy is one of those things where I could just, like, spend the whole day doing it or cooking. Like, I'll really get into the zone with that. But, yeah, there's certain things I'm just definitely not into. <laughs> but I do like to, like, if I'm, at, like, I love travelling. I love, like, exploring. And, you know, when someone says, hey, you want to do this? I'm, like, often the person that's, like, yeah, I do. I'll Often I'm not, like, the leader. I don't I don't come up with the ideas but I'm that I'm the person that's like yeah I'll come and do that with you so Mm. I think I don't know I think in my head um you just have to yeah I don't know take take the opportunities with it when they're there like if you're gonna if I'm gonna go and travel somewhere for a gig like I want to do all the cool things in that city or all the yeah, I just don't want to, like, go and do the gig and go home.
0: You want to just do all the cool things
1: in life yeah. in general. I
0: think that's really great life advice. Jump in, do yeah, all the do, cool things. Yeah, do the cool it, things. Explore and see what happens.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because you just, like, you, you just never you never know what's going to happen in your life. Like, I've had a few things recently where, like, an old boss of mine passed away and another guy I knew in high school passed away and I was like, wow, like, you just never know, so you may as well do it. And I think especially after the last couple of years where we were all locked up and limited in what we could do, I think people are just going like, yeah, just do it, whatever, just book the holiday, go and do whatever, change jobs, quit your job, all that sort of stuff. Mm.
0: Go eat some noodles, make some curry. Yeah. Go build a man out of a pillow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much, Lizzie. I've really valued this conversation. Oh, thanks for having me. So much. It's been so interesting. What's next for you? What are you doing next? Well, I'm just gigging around
1: and sort of at that time of year where you start preparing for next year. Like I had a meeting last week about what do I want my poster to look like? So this the festival cycle is ramping up again so all the comics now are sort of in this phase of like building shows testing material that sort of thing so that when festival season starts early next year we've got stuff to tell
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah which is exciting it's a good time of year Mm. yeah do you get nervous about preparing that or is it fun and absorbing and It's fun. It is nerve-wracking though because a lot of the time you're
1: testing like new stuff and new ideas and that can be daunting but also a lot of fun because if they work, if the idea works, then it's like, yes, it's a good feeling. Yeah.
0: Mm, yeah. Here's my last question. What Mm. do you rely on? What habits, what mindset do you rely on to be a comedian and be a working creative?
1: Um, I think a book that was really inspirational to me was that Elizabeth Gilbert book, Big Magic. Have you ever read that? Yeah. Yes, I love that book. So I think I read that when I, in my first year or two of comedy and it really struck a chord with me because I was like, yeah, and how she talks about the idea that, you know, you've got to be this like starving artist type person to be a creative. And she's like, no, I'll write 200 words of my book in a coffee shop before a meeting. Like, it's just something you have to fit into your life if that's what you want to do. It's not going to be this like magical moment in a retreat that you go to every year. It's just going to be part of your every day. And I think that's super important message because it's a lot of work. Like, There's a lot of work and normal, boring admin stuff that goes into a creative job, I think. And I don't know, one thing also is just turning up and not like doing a good job, but not. you don't have to be the best at it. You just got to be consistent. Mm. I think that's important.
0: That's the best advice I think I've ever gotten. You touched on it too, um, Mm. to just keep going. Which sounds like Mm. the simplest advice but is actually the hardest, I think, to do. And I think that's super valuable. And that it's so funny you bring up Liz Gilbert's book, Big Magic, because I'm reading it again at the moment. I find I pick that book up every few years and I have it by my bed because sometimes I just need a friend to be like, stop taking yourself so seriously. It's fine. Relax, you know. And And she uses that
1: It is, and she uses that example of her friend who just uh, she ice skates like she did it when she was young, and she's just picked up ice skating for a creative outlet. And now, like you know, a lot of her anxiety is gone, or her depression has gone, or something. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. Like you don't have to do a creative thing for it to be your job or anything. It's just if it makes you feel good. Yeah, but I love that book. I really enjoy it. And often she's got a podcast too. Like. That I often, yeah, listen to when I'm a bit like, but yeah, that's a really good one. Do you still
0: feel a bit? So, do you still feel a bit sometimes about it all? Like, do you have those moments where you go, "Oh God, this is all embarrassing and not good, and I'm terrible and everything"?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, hundred like all the time. Even at gigs, like gigs can still be so terrifying. And then you rock out, you're like, oh, gosh. And in your mind, you're like, oh, they're all younger than me. They're not going to like me. I don't know. And, yeah. But then, then other times you find that you, like, judge judge the audience too much before you even get started. And you're like, oh, that was really fun. But, yeah, there's definitely times where I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't feel like doing this. And you just have to do it, which I think is important lesson as well. Doing something when you don't <laughs> feel like doing it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's the, I think that's even like with the gym, right? It's very rare yeah. that once you're there, you're like, oh, I wish I didn't come to this hellhole. Like yeah. you're usually just in it by that point, yeah. aren't you? But um, yeah. it's, the, it's that weird hurdle between having to actually go to the thing and do the thing yeah. that's the most terrifying. Yeah, 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 that's Absolutely. right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Lizzie. Oh, my pleasure. I'm really Thanks excited having to me. see your new show. Oh, you yeah. are so welcome. I'm really excited for your new show for next year. So you'll be at the Melbourne Comedy Festival and people can follow you over on yeah. Instagram. Is that probably the best way to Yeah, that's probably already? the best place. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me.
0: You've been listening to a podcast with me, Claire Tonti, and this week with the wonderful Lizzie Who. For more from Lizzie Who, you can find her on her website, lizziewho.com where you can find links to her upcoming shows, her Instagram and social media. And also you can just go and watch some of her comedy too. She's got lots of beautiful videos up there as well. So I highly recommend going to check out her stuff. She's definitely one to watch on the comedy scene here in Melbourne. Now, for more from me, you can head to claireTonty.com where everything I do is and you can also head over to Suggestible Podcast which I make with my husband man James Clement and that comes out every Thursday where we recommend you things to watch read and listen to and make fun of each other along the way and it's a whole lot of fun so I'd love you to check out Suggestible as well and I haven't told you about this, but I am also writing an album of music and I just finished this week I think the last vocal for it. It's been a huge undertaking and a massive lot of nerves and excitement and a joy to actually make some art that I've been wanting to make probably for my whole life really. So I can't wait to share some of that music with you. That will be coming out in January, the first single, and there is a live show coming up. Tickets aren't on sale yet, but if you want to put in a save the date, it's on the 12th of February at 3pm at the Wesley Anne in Northgate. So that's next year, um, the 12th of Feb. I'll tell you a little bit more about the album in the coming months, I guess, or weeks, but that's it for starters. Okay, have a wonderful week. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, as always, to Roy Collins for editing this week's episode.
1: Hold up.